This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting Corporation and Supertalk Mississippi Media. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Lott Sami, your co-host, joined by economist Natasha Serdorch, co-founder of International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable guests include leading voices from business, government, media, energy, technology, healthcare, and the broad policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. Visit America's Roundtable at americasrt.com. americasrt.com. Follow us on Facebook, America's Roundtable, and Twitter at americasrt. We invite donors and advertisers to reach us by visiting our website, americasrt.com. Welcome to America's Roundtable. Good morning and welcome to America's Roundtable. This weekend on America's Roundtable, we are truly honored to have an American patriot joining us, former U.S. Congressman David Brett and Dean of the School of Business at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. Dr. Brett served on the House Budget Committee and as a member of the House Freedom Caucus, he led the charge in Congress for a more fiscally responsible budget process. Dr. David Brett served as the president of the Virginia Association of Economists and serves on the International Leaders Summit's Executive Advisory Board. And Dr. Brad, it's great to have you back on America's Roundtable. A good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Dr. Brad. Good morning, Joel and Natasha. Great to be on with you guys always. All right. Since we last talked, an important change has taken place on Capitol Hill. And through robust debate in Congress, conservative members of Congress, and specifically key leaders from the House Freedom Caucus, have opened the conversation regarding increasing transparency around how legislation is put together. They have called for principal measures to engage the broader membership in legislating and bringing accountability back to the People's House. Congressman Brett, what are your principal recommendations? Recommendations to leaders in Congress, specifically your colleagues in the House Freedom Caucus, and what should be their top priorities for our fellow Americans and America's future during this crucial year prior to the 2024 presidential elections? Yeah, well, that's good. They uh, they got the uh, those promises from the new speaker Kevin McCarthy in exchange for his speakership, so they uh, that hasn't been tested yet. And so, uh, but it's all good news. That group of 20 did the country great service. Everybody, we were working that back when I was in there. The Freedom Caucus was working on the same thing, and we could never get it to happen. But uh, you know, people, some people, you know, in the news, the major media make fun of those guys. But they, uh, when when people find out what it is, like, uh, you know, a bill should have one purpose. You don't get to tack on a million uh, other strands to it, right? Uh, a bill should be debated on the House floor in front of your colleagues. That never happens. In case people think it does, that never happens. Leadership just put stuff in and it goes through and the average person on the committees, even the chairman of like the budget committee has no power whatsoever. The, uh, a few people in a room make all the decisions. And if you disagree with those, you get no money, meaning $10 million. Uh, if you disagree with leadership, you're short 10 million to run your race. And in the past, the folks who were most opposed to the Republican platform got $20 million, right? Cause they were in tough seats in moderate districts. And so if you want to know why we're, you know, 32 trillion in debt and the CBO came out yesterday, the Congressional Budget Office came out yesterday, said we're going to add another 20 trillion in debt over the next 10 years. Right. That's not a typo. So that'll be 52 Mm -hmm. trillion in debt uh, in 10 years. And so uh, what should they do? 
uh, they need to use the debt ceiling uh, shutdown as leverage uh, to keep our kids' generation intact, right? I mean, it, it's just shocking to me, the left uh, and the suburban parents who say they care about their kids and the environment and all this stuff. They're putting their kids in a position now with $52 trillion in debt, but no Social Security and no Medicare, right? They're, they're all insolvent in 20 years. And that's, you know, you just go Google their board of trustees statement. So tons of hard work to do in, in the midst of that. Uh, we got to get ourselves out of this uh, Russia-Ukrainian war and, and get a peace going there. We're already uh, $120 billion into that one. And it's getting riskier and riskier by the day. And, and Russia's got 500,000 troops now amassed. So, you know, guess who's going to win that one? And uh, our, our establishment elitist military leaders, not the, not the troops, are just spreading misinformation that somehow Ukraine could still win this thing. I think that's turning this week. And then we need to focus all of our attention on China. And so we need to use the little leverage points we got in the House with that, with that Freedom Caucus group. And hopefully leadership steps up, but it's all up to you, people listening. If, if you continue to vote, just like, eh, it's just politics, it's no big deal, uh, it's a big deal. we got some major problems on our hands, and we need all hands on deck. And if people want to follow me, I'm at Brat Economics on Getter. I've been posting all of this <clears throat> content uh, and data and receipts, uh, not just opinions. Uh, and I try to post the, the best folks in the world. Yesterday, I, I posted Robert Gordon. He's the leading economist on productivity. And he says for the next 10 years, we got productivity growth of 1%, which is basically mm. going to be your economic growth for the next decade as well. So I wish I had more good news to share, but uh, we're in for some tough ride coming up. Mm. Right. Professor Brad, we always appreciate your expert analysis of the U.S. economy. And you just mentioned the debt. I mean, we have to yeah. grow faster, basically. And you just mentioned also 1% productivity growth. Yeah. So yeah. if we look at the real gross domestic product, GDP, yeah. it increased at an annual rate of 2.9% in the fourth quarter of 2022, which was less than 3.2% growth in the third quarter of 22. The unemployment fell to 53-year low in January. And while we were talking about recession last summer, due to the two consecutive months of falling GDP, now the economy appears to be rebounding. On the other side, we're not getting rid of persisting inflation, which can be exacerbated by higher employment and strong consumer spending. Because of inflation, it is expected that the Fed will continue to raise its prime rate, which is currently at 4.75%, while inflation was still at 6.4% in January, however, lower than June's 9.1% annual rate. Professor Brad, what are your thoughts about the current state of the U.S. economy and your recommendations to increase economic growth, which we need to reduce the debt, while at the same time fight inflation? Yeah, well, the uh, the 3% figures uh, and all the figures prior are all fake, right? So the first thing people have to get in their head is, what do you think the economy is going to do if you put $9 trillion on the Federal Reserve balance sheet and increase spending by several trillion dollars each year in government spending that you just created out of nowhere, uh, and it goes into the debt of the kids? Well, if you put those two things together, guess what? You get economic growth in the short run, uh, but it's fake. That is not your real economy working, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's why that productivity number is so important. The productivity number is your real economy, and it's awful. 
And so what can you do about this? Well, if, if you look at that stuff I posted yesterday, uh, Robert Gordon is in column two and three. He's got uh, business productivity, and then he's got non-business productivity, meaning government. And uh, <laughs> there's your <laughs> difference, right? So it, businesses are productive. The government sector is not productive. It's like zero or 0.5 or negative at times. And so uh, instead of moving all resources into war, which is a terrible misallocation of resources – Right. They just you're, you're just destroying uh, the stuff you just spent, you know, hundreds of billions on for a war and then going into debt with all these payments that are still going out the door. Right. We, we still got about a trillion left to spend from all the uh, covid stuff uh, in stimulus. Uh, we need to get back to the basics, human capital. What are your kids studying? Are they doing engineering and computer science and mathematics and science and STEM stuff like India and China, or are they doing uh, advanced pronoun studies uh, of, uh, you know, whatever. And this country has just got to get its act together. Mm-hmm. And then we don't do any capital investment anymore. And our country's still uh, plenty coupled with China, even as a, uh, a, a war is breaking out. China's aligned with Russia and all of our woke CEOs still have their plants in China, and they don't think uh, two cents about it. Well, they're going to think about it, and they, they have a fiduciary responsibility uh, to think about it. And so uh, the economy right now is, is just fake, and in a year or two, all that spending is going to be done and through the pipeline, uh, and then we're going to see what the real economy looks like, and it's not going to be good. And, and, and as you just said, we're raising interest rates. Uh, so the Fed rate's going to probably go to five and a half percent next year, and then you know, and then on top of that, when the interest rate goes up on thirty-two trillion in debt, you got to pay five percent on it now, exactly. and, and it was zero percent one year ago. So uh, that's going to cost. So we got a lot, lot of work to do. Uh, Professor Brad, you mentioned actually the human capital, and the Wall Street Journal published yeah. this week an article uh, which was titled uh, "To Increase Equity." School districts eliminate honors classes. This is the most recent parental pushback in Culver City, California. It's the last, actually, in the last year's resistance following Wisconsin, Rhode Island, and other places in California to schools canceling the honor designation on some high school classes. And this is a dangerous zone. If there are any well-meaning individuals who are contemplating eliminating honors classes, they should be aware of the fact that this model was practiced in communism where all should be made equal. <laughs> and in this case, the equality of outcome can be summarized. It is better for entire communities and society to become less smart or dumber than allow some individuals to become smarter. And striving for constant improvement and excellence is what made America exceptional. So if we cancel competition among the students in the schools where all students can become smarter, the next thing is to cancel competition anywhere else, which would deteriorate standard of living for all Americans. Uh, Professor Brad, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, well, you just put it real nicely. I mean, it, it's just absurd uh, on its face. You know, in the Judeo-Christian tradition, we believe all human beings are equal in the, in the most important respects. Everyone's made in the image of God. Uh, but everybody has different talents and gifts and, uh, and, and, you know, objectives in their life. 
And uh, some people are better in school and some are not. And then some people have other talents where they're better at sports or better at, you know, working hard or better family members or whatever. Right. And so the idea that the central planner gets to take away your liberty to force these outcomes is the problem. Mm. Right. It's like who made them king. Right. So that's the central issue is who who in the world appointed you? These They're not well-intentioned people. Right. They're, they're following the Marxist playbook to the T. And uh, they want to bring this country down a notch. And the way you bring it down a notch is to dumb down the, the population. We've been dumbing down all the SOL test scores across all the high schools for 20 years. There's a whole literature on that, how we've dumbed it down and we keep reducing the hurdles that we promised, right? The kids got to get over hurdles in math and English and all the core subjects. And now we've dumbed the test down uh, so that anyone can clear the hurdle. So the kids aren't learning. And what do I think about that? Well, that's exactly why your productivity number is low because our kids aren't learning how to think and especially critical thinking, right? I mean, if you ask the average kid right now, what's going on in China, they couldn't tell you probably much at all. And that's probably the most important issue uh, in our world today. And then if you ask them, uh, what does the word good mean, right, in ethics? What is What does it mean to be good? And uh, they'll give you some circular argument, like to be good is to be good, right? And it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a, uh, it's a mess out there right now. Congressman Bratt, on curtailing the powers of major online platforms, the U.S. and in fact the European Union are weighing in on the concerns of the powers of big tech, specifically major online platforms. The Wall Street Journal's editorial board relayed these sentences this past week, and I quote, The Supreme Court on February 21 is taking up Gonzalez versus Google, a case on the Section 230 immunity enjoyed by Internet platforms. This dispute probably won't produce the blockbuster ruling that critics of Silicon Valley want, but it might illustrate why the questions surrounding Section 230, which will keep coming, are best answered by legislators, not the judiciary, unquote. Now, Natasha Sordoch and I were recently in Brussels, meeting with European legislators, members of the European Parliament, and EU officials on the myriad of issues, including jumpstarting a U.S.-Europe free trade agreement, one that would be fair and reciprocal, specifically keeping small and medium-sized enterprises in mind, and the West's support for Israel's sovereignty. Now, the Europeans are advancing stricter measures to rein in the powers of big tech. And Reuters reports, I quote, Google, Facebook, Twitter, and Apple face stricter EU online content rules based on monthly user numbers published by the companies. The new rules, known as the Digital Services Act, label companies with more than 45 million users as very large online platforms and subject to obligations such as risk management and external and independent auditing. They are also required to share data with authorities and researchers and adopt a code of conduct. The European Commission had given online platforms and search engines until February 17 to publish their monthly active users. Very large online platforms have four months to comply with the rules or risk fines, unquote. Congressman Brad, we all understand that big tech and specifically major online platforms have been biased in their approach, and that may be an understatement. 
as seen through the revelations presented by Elon Musk on how former Twitter executives may have influenced the 2020 presidential elections by intervening in removing the Hunter Biden story and in fact blocking users who shared the story, including conservative government officials, and giving Democrat candidates, progressive groups, and the far left a much more favorable platform. Professor Brad, as a former member of Congress and from your perspective and years of experience, what should legislators do in addressing this major issue and what would you advise them in ensuring that we uphold the First Amendment of our U.S. Constitution and hold to account these tech giants that brazenly control what we can view or even find in our search engines? Yeah, well, that's well put, and that's such a huge issue. I mean, well, you just said that there at the end is the most important thing, and it, it's just staggering, right? The ability of our government, I mean, the, uh, the COVID issues, the health uh, issues that are still with us with these excessive deaths that are not being reported, uh, I mean, it doesn't get too much more significant than that. And you try to go post that. Naomi Wolf's got her book and all the evidence out on that stuff, and uh, she gets canceled. And so it's it's quite scary. And then, you know, a lot of conservatives have been canceled. If you ask questions about the elections uh, or if you have uh, views against big tech, uh, how do you post them? And so uh, I, I'm all for breaking up the monopolies, right? Antitrust, it's just ridiculous. Competition, uh, and you got some of these free market guys that are getting paid off by big tech. Everybody's getting paid by big tech, right? And so they're in the pockets of big tech. Right. So it's very hard to change it. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but, you know, no firm should have more than, you know, 10, 20 percent market share, in, in my view, because to, to have a supply curve and a demand curve, a supply curve in perfect competition, which is the best outcome in economics, it's in the intro textbook, right? To have perfect competition means you have a, a large number of firms duking it out. Absolutely. And it's that competition between the firms that produces all the good outcomes. As soon as you lock someone into a monopoly, then they're huge. And then they go to the government and say, Hey, I want to line in the budget and I want even more of a monopoly. I want a a public sector monopoly too. So the government only uses me and we're so huge. We'll give you a ton of money if you do that. And and so it's just circular and they get bigger and bigger and more powerful on that. So this Google case is, uh, is key and I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. It's a great issue. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, when you talk about monopolies, I mean, we're experiencing the same actually in health insurance markets in certain states yep. and across Amer- in America, yep. but also in investment market with some companies getting most of the investments of retirement accounts and others. So I think we should de- dedicate one program with you, uh, Professor Brad, to just analyze some of these companies, some of these markets, because people should be aware of it. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's the... Uh the, the basic issue that you know takes a few sentences to explain is all of human history was led by dictators and central planning. All of human history in every country, every culture up till 1800, everybody made less than a thousand dollars a year. Then this amazing thing called free markets happened. There's always been markets, right? The the ancient Hebrews had markets, the Greeks had markets, but the, choosing the market system is a social choice. And right now, the Marxists and the globalists and whatever are trying to make that social choice for us. And they're saying capitalism is bad and da-da-da-da-da. Well, you wouldn't be living in your house with electricity without capitalism. Exactly. And you wouldn't be driving that nice car you're driving 
without capitalism. And you wouldn't have any modern health care or all these fancy drugs without capitalism. And so folks just got to wake up and get back to common sense and get, get your head on straight and get strong again. We've just become weak and uh, it's time to get strong again. Uh, Professor Brad, uh, according to Moody's analytics analysis of Equifax consumer credit reports and published by the Wall Street Journal, 46 million people moved to a different zip code in just 12 months until February 2022, which was the most in any 12-month period in records going back to 2010. The states that gained the most residents were Florida, Texas, and North Carolina, while the states that lost the most residents are California, New York, and Illinois. And the pattern here is that the red states, obviously, <laughs> that red states, those that lean Republican, have recovered faster than the states that lean Democrat. And in a period of 15 months, from February 2020 to May 2022, red states have added 341,000 jobs, while blue states were still short, 1.3 million jobs, Wall Street Journal reports. Uh, Professor Brad, could you share with us about the major factors that contributed to 14% of Americans moving from the blue to red states? And what should the red states do to retain their population? Yeah, yeah, no, no, the, uh, the, the, the blue states are, you know, just high tax, high regulation. They got drag queens in their eighth grade, uh, science classes. And the moms and dads said, this is, uh, bananas, right? So you got a lot of people lo- leaving for that. You also, the data are probably all corrupted, right? We have five million new illegal immigrants in the country going somewhere. Right. right. And so the data right now are so messed up. I don't know what to believe. Mm. Uh, but just common sense is what you just said, right? People are leaving the blue states. I mean, California is the most God-gifted, beautiful thing I've ever seen, right? And so to leave California, there's got to be some pretty big, stiff, negative exactly uh, something going on, right? And so I'm sure it's just a combination of the house prices and gasoline prices and regulation and craziness and crime and drugs on your street and people are pulling their hair out and going, I can't believe I got to leave this place, but I'm, I'm going. And then Florida and all these Texas and whatever well-managed States. Uh, and they're booming. I was just down in Florida for a, a economic conference and uh, it's booming. And uh, so I think it's just, it, it, most of it's common sense and uh, we'll just keep following that data. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, we are truly delighted that you're joining us on America's Roundtable. Professor and actually former U.S. Congressman David Brad is the Dean of the School of Business at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. Uh, please visit online resources to uh, see what uh, Dr. Brad is talking about on the areas of economy. Yep. Thank you so much for your leadership, Dr. Brad. Appreciate all that you're doing. And visit Brad Economics at Getter. Thank you, Dr. Brad. Thanks, Joel. Thanks, Natasha. Great show as always. Thank you, guys. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting Corporation and Supertalk Mississippi Media. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Ladensami, your co-host, joined by economist Natasha Serdorch, co-founder of International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable guests include leading voices from business, government, media, energy, technology, healthcare, and the broad policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. Visit America's Roundtable at americasrt.com. americasrt.com. Follow us on Facebook, America's Roundtable, and Twitter at AmericasRT. We invite donors and advertisers to reach us by visiting our website, AmericasRT.com. Welcome to America's Roundtable.